How we doing? Am I on? Can you hear me now? All right, we paid the bill, so we're good. Well, once again, my name is Daniel. I want to welcome you here. You guys ready to study God's Word? Appreciate Mr. Vaughn reading that for us. And so uh, we're in this series. It's kind of minor prophets, sort of these parts of the Bible that oftentimes people don't read because they're like, I don't understand all this stuff. What is he talking about? Nations plundered and visions and write it down and make it plain. I don't know. That's, that's why I stay away from that stuff, right? Uh, but as believers, we believe every word of the Bible is inspired by God and, uh, and it's true and is useful for us to teach us, to train us, to instruct us on how to live. And so even though we don't understand all of it, it's important for us to study it and to know what God's Word is saying. And so uh, I have a question for you. How many of you like to wait? Right? None of us, I would take it, right? I don't like to wait. Corey in the back likes to wait. Okay, that's good. Uh, I don't really like to wait a whole lot. I struggle with that. Uh, yeah, it depends on what you're waiting for. That's true. That's true. Typically, I don't like to wait for much. Right. You know, if I see a line at the grocery store, you know, and I, I will I would be like, oh, they got too much. I'm going to a different line. You know, and I'll try like five or six lines. I'd be like, I got 100 things. I bet I could do self checkout quicker than they can get through all them. And then, you know, I end up being there even longer, you know, or, or I don't like waiting in traffic. So it's like, oh, I think I can go around all this. Right. You know, and then you go around it and that lane slows down. Is that happening to anybody else or is that just me? Right. Like, Why does the lane slow down every time I get in? it? And uh, I feel like God is trying to teach me something, you know. And so, um, but waiting, and, and Habakkuk is this guy, right? And he's struggling, he's in this position of waiting. And he's waiting for, we don't know how long. And if you were here last week, kind of this overview as, as Habakkuk is this guy struggling, he has questions for God, like many of us, we have questions for God, he's going through a hard time. And he comes to God and he says, God, why? Why are you allowing this? And his major question is, why are you allowing evil things to happen. If you're a good God, right, how can you allow these evil things to happen? And so he's, he's taking his question, he's taking his frustrations to God and praise God for a book of the Bible where he can do this authentically, right? And what we talked about last week is this, it's a good thing to take your frustrations to God. That's the best place to bring them, right? And instead of just pretending like you don't have any frustrations or anger, take them to the Lord. And so this is what he does, and he's frustrated, and he's having a hard time. Like many of us, maybe you're in a, a season of waiting, and, and he gets an answer back from God um, in the chapter one, and and he doesn't really like that answer because that answer is something even more difficult to accept, which is because Habakkuk is frustrated with his neighbors because they're acting wicked and cruel. He's frustrated with his his nation because his nation is shunning God and walking away from God and the things of God, and God is not honored amongst his national leaders and amongst uh, the people uh, of his country, and so he is like, man. God, this is frustrating. And so he's struggling, right? And then he says, God, well, well, why are you gonna why, why are you gonna do this? And and what God says is, I'm going to purify, I'm going to bring an end to evil, right? I'm I'm going to answer your question, and I'm gonna solve the problem of evil, but you're not gonna like how it happens because, like a skilled surgeon, this is what we had to talk about last week, God is God is going to cut out the cancer from within. And, uh, and nobody likes to be cut on. I don't like to be cut on. You don't like to be cut on. But what we talked about last week was this idea of that, man, sometimes hurt has to come in order to prevent greater harm, right? Some of you, we talked about physical therapists, right? All that sort of stuff. Some of us go to a personal trainer, right? We pay people to hurt us because we know we're too lazy to do it ourselves, right? It's like, I don't want to do one more sit-up. I'm not paying you. And so 
Um, but in order to prevent future and greater harm, small pain has to come. And so this is what Habakkuk is wrestling with. And so what do you do while you're in this time of waiting, right? Maybe some of you are waiting, waiting for the pain to go away, emotional pain. God, when am I going to be over this depression? Waiting for healing to happen. God, my body has not been working for 20 years the right way. God, how long will I have to suffer this? Waiting for a child to return who is wayward. Waiting for a relationship to be restored. Some of us are just waiting for a relationship to begin. God, how long am I going to be single? Waiting, waiting, waiting. God, what do I do while I'm waiting? Well, I believe Habakkuk is going to remind us that faith is for those who are frustrated. Faith is, is for those of us who are waiting. And this is really the crux of this, this whole book of Habakkuk. is chapter 2, verse 4, and, and he says the righteous will live by faith. And this was quoted in the New Testament. And so we need faith when we're in that season of waiting. We need faith when we're frustrated, right? Think about it. You don't need faith on your wedding day, right? Everything's great. You need faith when it's not great. When you hadn't talked to each other in a couple weeks and you're arguing, you need faith on that day. You don't need faith on the day when you get the job, right? You need faith on the day you get fired, right? That's the point of faith, right, is that what I'm seeing and what's happening to me, I cannot handle it. You don't need faith on the day when you feel great and you've got all the energy in the world. You need faith on the day when you're tired and lethargic. You feel like you can't get out of bed and, and the pain in your body and everywhere and every joint is, is struggling. You need faith in order to get moving. Amen? So faith is for when you're frustrated. When the kids are sick. When the kids are wayward. When the money is low. God, I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill. See, you know, it doesn't require faith when, you, when you've got a bill that's $100 and you got $200 in the bank, you don't need any faith. You and I, we got it covered. We don't even need God. And sometimes God allows us to be in these situations to grow our faith. And sometimes these seasons of waiting and these seasons of God, where are you? Why aren't you answering me? God is growing us up. Amen. He's taking our faith deeper. I have five kids. And so uh, we have done many miracles in our family at many times. But one of the greatest miracles is that we taught, listen to me now, be amazed, we taught all five of our kids how to walk. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. <sighs> yep, yep. It was really my wife who did all the hard work, but we taught them all how to walk. Um, and I know you're thinking, Pastor, are you a little bonkers today? Um, but walking is a pretty amazing thing, right? When they're little babies and just crawling, right, they don't know what's going on, and, and, um, and they just crawl along the floor. And then when they start walking, right, they, they want to, they want to, like, scoot along something, right? You know how they do? They get on the couch, and they kind of do this, right? And they do that, and then they're like, oh, something over there. I don't know if I can make it, right? You know, and then they do this to you, right? Like, Or they give me a hand, right? They, they want some stability. But sometimes as parents, you know what we had to do? We did this really cruel thing to our kids. <clears throat> we were helping them. I know. Don't judge me, y'all. We let go. We let go. Right? We let go of their hands. So they, so they could what? So they could walk. But you know what they were feeling in that instant? My security's gone. How am I going to make it to the, the other side of the couch? 
you know, a little baby mind, that's like an eternity. You might as well ask him to run a marathon, right? He's like, I, I don't know if I can do it, right? And sometimes, listen to me now, when you feel like God is absent from you, he's growing you up. He hasn't gone. We didn't leave our kids. We're standing right there behind them. And when they fall down, we help them back up. But they had to learn to grow their faith a little bit. And God sometimes is growing our faith. And so faith is for the frustrated. Reach over, touch your neighbor, and tell them faith is for the frustrated. And they say, you look a little frustrated today. <laughs> you look a little frustrated. <clears throat> so there, there is an acronym that uh, we were in a class one time, and some of you who, there was a class we had called the Faith Class back in, back in the old days. And, um, and, and they taught this great acronym for faith. You can write it down. It won't be on the screen, but it's a great acronym. And faith, F-A-I-T-H, I can spell it today. And um, it's, it stands for this, forsaking all others, I trust him. Isn't that good? Forsaking all others, I trust him. Forsaking all others, I trust him. This is what faith is, is forsaking the trust in ourselves, forsaking the trust uh, in, in our world, in our culture, in, in, in every other human thing, forsaking all others, I trust him. And, and as we look, what happens in chapter 2, and we're not going to get into it all today, so you'll, you'll be grateful, um, but he's going to compare the righteous who live by faith versus the proud and the arrogant. And, and you'll see in the chapter, and we didn't you know, go through all of it, but he's going to compare people who are proud, people who are greedy, people who are arrogant. And then uh, you can go through, uh, and, and Habakkuk is a short book. It's three chapters, take about ten minutes to read it. But you can go through chapter two, and you can circle all the woes. He's going to give five, fo- five foes. I think that's a restaurant, um, um, a Vietnamese restaurant. But five woes, not foes, five woes to people who are proud and arrogant, trusting in themselves. And so you can read that, not while I'm preaching, of course, um, but later on uh, today you can go through and, and find those woes to the proud. But let's talk about what faith does here. I'll give you a couple things you can write down. Uh, what faith does while it's waiting, while you're frustrated, here's what it does. Number one, faith eagerly expects God to answer. Faith eagerly expects God to answer. It says, I might be struggling. I might be doubting. I might be wondering if God is hearing my prayers. I feel like they get, they bounce off the ceiling. I might be worrying. I might be anxious. I might be frustrated. But I know that God cares, and I know that God is going to answer me. I don't know when, but I know he will answer. And it continues to eagerly expect God will show up because that's his character, because that's his nature. He hasn't left us to ourselves. And if he bankrupted heaven and sent Jesus to the cross for us, he's not going to let us go when we're facing other trials. And so we can bank on that. This is what happens in verse 1. Look at what Habakkuk does. Look, let's, look at how he positions himself. Look at verse 1. He says this. <clears throat> I will take my stand at my watch post. I will take my stand at my watch post. What's a watch post for? It's for watching, right? This is part of ancient society, sometimes on the wall of the city, sometimes out in a shepherd field, but it's a position of height where you can see what's going on. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. For what purpose? And look out and see what he will what? Say to me and and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk puts himself in a position to hear 
God. Can I ask you a question? How often do you put yourself in a position to hear God? Once a week? Once a year? Once a never? I don't know. Have you eagerly expected God to speak to you and to answer you? Do you get yourself in a position to hear from God, to listen to Him? Some of us are real good about talking to God, right? That's different. That's different. We'll we'll talk to God. God, I'm bringing my complaint. God, I'm bringing this. God, you don't know what's going on down here. And we're like that little kid, like, parents, you don't know what this is like. I got to walk all the way over there. And the parents are like, you're okay. okay. It's not as bad as you think. Okay? And I'm not trying to diminish your situation because there are some awful situations that we face. But I'm here to remind you that God has a bigger perspective than you and I have. And he knows what's going on. He hasn't left you. He is going to answer. He is going to speak. And so get yourself in a position to hear. Habakkuk did. He believes that God will answer. I wonder how many of us, though, we stop listening to God, right? We, we, when we go through hard times, we're like, oh, God doesn't exist. And so forget you. If this is the way you are, God, we stop attending our group. Stop meeting with other believers. We stop attending the local gathering, being part of a local fellowship of a church. And sometimes we're struggling, and 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 the rain is continuing to fall, and our lives are continuing. And God is saying, "Listen, I'm trying to speak to you, but you're not in a position to hear. You walked away. I'm trying. I'm trying to lead you out of this, but you're not in a position to hear. Sometimes we don't want to hear what God has to say. I read about a story." In October of 2012, an 86-year-old woman in western New York tumbled off a cliff while she was doing yard work. I'm thinking, why is she doing yard work on a cliff? But she clung to a tree for an hour before being rescued. Beverly Blewett was raking leaves Thursday in the backyard of her home in the town of Newfay, New York, when the ground along the edge of a creek gave way and she plunged 30 feet into a 100-foot deep ravine. Blewett held on to the tree at 86 for about an hour before a neighbor heard her cries and called 911. Two law enforcement officers lowered a rope to blew it. Firefighters used a stretch to haul her out of the ravine. She suffered some bruises and scratches, but she was treated at the hospital and did well. That reminds me of the old preacher story. Maybe you've heard it before, where a man named Jack had the same thing. He fell uh, off a a cliff, right, and was hanging by a tree limb. And he he was hanging there for an hour or longer, and he was crying out, help, help, anybody there? Finally, he heard a voice back, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? Jack yelled, yes, who are you? The voice answered back and said, I'm God. And he goes, oh, awesome. Can you get me out of here? He says, yes, I can see you, Jack. I'm going to get you out of here. And he was like, so you mean you're really God, not just playing with me? He goes, yes. He's like, the Lord? And the voice says, yes. And he goes, oh, God, thank you, thank you. God, please help me. I promise if you get me out of this situation, I'll do anything, right? I'll serve you. I'll worship you. I'll stop sinning. I'll be a really good person. I'll go to church. I'll do all these things. And God's like, hold on, hold on. Easy on the promises. Let's get you out of this situation first. Okay, okay, God. So he says, Jack, this is what I want you to do. Listen to me very carefully. All right, I'm ready. I'll do whatever it takes, Lord. All right, you listening carefully? Yes, I'm ready. Jack, let go of the branch. Then it was silent. And then all you heard was, is there anybody else up there? See, God knows what he's doing. And he's asking us to trust him. He's asking us to put our faith in him and to rely on him, not our own understanding, not our own 
uh, ways of doing things, but to do it his way and to trust him. But the problem is sometimes we don't honestly, if we're, if we're being real, we don't want to do it God's way. We don't want to trust him. So sometimes we're not eagerly expecting an answer because we're not going to like the answer he gives us. And we kind of know that. You know how people kind of skirt church, skirt you because they're like, oh, I know what you're probably going to tell me. And I'm in this situation and it's raining in my life and it won't stop raining, but I want to continue to complain against God. But I know there are some things in my life. See, Jack just needed to obey God on the first thing. He's making all these promises, right? God, I'll serve you. I'll do this. If you can't obey God in the simple things, you, you can't obey God in the greater things. Take the first step of obedience. So faith eagerly expects an answer like a back. I take my stand in my watch post. I'll station myself on the tower. I will look out. See these things he's doing? I'm looking out. I expect God to answer me. Do you expect God? And, and do you hear? Are you listening to his word? Are you reading his word? That's often the first question I would ask somebody. Are you reading God's word? Are you meditating on it? Are you soaking it up? Are you eagerly expecting? Number two, faith does this. Faith trusts what I see in the word until I can see it in the world. Faith trusts what I see in the word until I can see it in the world. Faith trusts what I see in the word until I can see it in the world. This is the, the, the real true definition of faith, right? But we operate like this. This is kind of the mantra of our times. You guys can finish the sentence for me, right? I believe it when I, right? That's how we work, right? I believe it when I see it, right? You know, somebody's talking about they're going to change and all that sort of stuff. And, and you're like, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. And that's not always an entirely bad thing because people need to back up their words with action, right? But faith does the opposite. Faith in God says this, I'll believe it until I see it. Did you catch the difference? I'll believe it, not when I see it, but I will believe it until I can actually see it played out. I'm going to trust God. God has said this promise. I know he's going to come through for me, and I will choose to believe that. I will choose to operate on that. I will choose to trust that until I can see it. This is what Habakkuk does. Look at what he says in verse 2. Verse 2, it says, the Lord did what? The Lord answered me. God gave him an answer. And God's answer, again, is not necessarily going to be what he wants. But look at what he's going to give him. He's going to give him something even greater. He says, write the what? Write the vision. What is vision related to? It's relating to seeing, right? He's saying, Habakkuk, I want you to have a different kind of sight. I want you to see with the eyes of faith. I want you to see with the eyes of your heart your situation in a different way. I want you to trust that I'm going to work out your situation in your nation, in your personal life, and in the future for all your descendants in a better way. Write the vision. Make it plain on the tablets. used to have somebody say, make it plain, Pastor, make it plain. I think that's where they got that from, right? I didn't know if that was ever in the Bible, but they just kept saying, make it plain, Pastor. Make it plain on the tablets. So he may run, who reads it. In other words, there's a herald, there's somebody who needs to announce this message, this needs to get out, and they need to run and get this message out, this vision that's going on. And he says this, for still the what? The vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens until the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, do what? Wait for it. We're not good at waiting. But God says this in his word, it will surely come and it will not what? Delay, God's timing is so much different than ours. So different than ours. But you can rest and you can trust 
in his timing. This is what's going on. He's saying, Habakkuk, I want you to get a picture of the future. I'm going to do something that's so amazing. I'm going to work all this for your good. And I want you to, to believe it. I want you to, until you see it. I want you to see it with the eyes of your heart. He must live by faith while he's waiting for this to be accomplished. And this is going to be a difficult time. In fact, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, maybe you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, but it talks about this whole hall of faith and it gives us the definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 1 talks about this, is that, is that faith is evidence for the assurance of things not seen. I don't see it yet, but I see it in the Word. And so I, I, I trust what I see in the Word until I see it in the world. Like I got a messenger. It's a vision. But then notice what verse 4 says. This is really where he gets to it. Verse 4 it says this, Behold, his soul is puffed up, and it is not upright within him. This is the opposite of someone of faith. This is the proud person, the arrogant person, the puffed up person. And then he contrasts this with, But the righteous shall live by what? The righteous shall live by faith. I want you to maybe mark that word live there. That's kind of the part we forget about. The righteous shall live. You know what living means, right? That means every day. That, that's not just, I, I do faith one time and then I'm good. No, faith is a day by day, daily operation. I have to continue to trust God every day. Sometimes i got to trust God first thing in the morning when I wake up because I wake up an atheist like, oh, God probably doesn't exist today. And everything in my life is going wrong. And I know it's going to be so hard not to wake up with dread, right? You know, I'm the only one who wakes up feeling like that. Y'all are looking real spiritual from here. <clears throat> right? You wake up with this dread and just think, God, I don't know if, I don't know if you're in charge today, right? I don't, I don't know. And I've got to remind myself of the gospel. I've got to remind myself of the truth of God. And I've got to put my faith in that. And then I'm good for a couple minutes, a couple hours, maybe by lunchtime. I've got to remind myself again. I have to live by faith. Bible commentator James Boyce says this, it does not say the righteous shall begin by faith and then proceed on some other principle. It does not say the righteous shall draw on faith from time to time only when faith is needed. It says the righteous will live continuously by his faith. That is, the righteous will operate on this principle 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks a year, so long as life last. Paul uses this verse from Habakkuk 2 to challenge living by the law. He says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. It's written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's Galatians. He says this, the only way to live is to live by faith. The world may crumble about and all that we know and love may vanish, but the righteous will live by faith. He will live by faith in the one who keeps us not only in the moment of our initial belief in Jesus Christ as Savior, but in every later moment of life as well. We will live by faith. We trust what we see in the Word. God has made a promise. He says the vision is going to come true. It will not delay. I'm going to bring it on time. And so I'm going to answer. I'm going to rescue. You need to trust me. And then if you look at verse 14 of chapter 2 of Habakkuk, he makes another promise. There are promises all in the Bible, right? Thousands of promises. But here's, here's one of them in verse 14 of chapter 2. It says, For the earth might be, 
Could be. Maybe. I don't know. If everybody, if all the people do what's right, the earth might be. If, if all the political leaders do what's right, then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. No, the earth what? Will be. That's a promise, folks. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a beautiful picture. The glory of God, the knowledge of the glory of God is going to spill over the entire earth as the waters cover the sea. It's, it's like that song we were singing, like, man, if His grace is an ocean, His grace is, we're, we're all swimming, we're all drowning, we're all covered in His grace and His forgiveness. And so faith trusts what I see in the Word until I can see it in the world. And so if your faith is struggling, could I challenge you once again? How much of the Word are you looking at? Right? Sometimes we spend more time looking at the world. Right? And we spend more time looking at the news, more time looking at our situation, and less time in the Word and memorizing it and, and going over it in our heads over and over again. Put it in a place where you can see we got our, our spiritual growth class going on on, on Wednesday nights. Man, that's one of the things we're talking about in there is, man, get an index card, put God's Word all over the place. Put it on your lock screen, on your phone, whatever you got to do so you can keep God's Word before you. How much of God's Word are you reading, memorizing, meditating on? Because in the Word, God reminds us that He will do what is right. In fact, the rest of chapter 2 is that. It's very similar to what we study in the book of, of Nahum, and where God gives these five woes in the rest of chapter 2. I'm not going to read it all to you. But He's basically saying, woe to these wicked people. Woe to this nation, the, the Babylonians, that are going to come and ruin you. But listen, I'm going to hold them accountable too. And so justice is going to come for them. And so don't worry, Habakkuk, about the, the injustice that they're doing. I will hold them accountable. So faith. Trust what it sees in the Word until it can see it in the world. Thirdly, finally, is this. Faith rests in a relationship before it looks for a resolution. Faith rests in a relationship before it looks for resolutions. The relationship says this, right? I know I can trust you. Like that little baby, right? The little baby knows I, he can trust his parents. She can trust his parents. And so it doesn't get a resolution right away, but it trusts my parents are good. Their heart towards me is good. They're going to help me when I need it. We trust all kinds of things, don't we? You trust the person who put this building together, designed the roof, right? Because you're all sitting here. You trust whoever hung up these lights did it right, and they're not falling on your head. I know I just made your anxiety just ramp up like, I never thought about that. Gee whiz. We trust the elevator inspectors at every building we go to. We trust people we drive next to that they got their license from the DMV, not from Kmart, right? And I know sometimes it's sketchy, right? That's why Kmart went out of business. No, I'm just kidding. Those terrible drivers. We put our faith in all kinds of things all day long. The people who prepare our food, the people who grow our food, we, we exercise faith all the time. And then it's like, I can't trust God of the universe who made me, who gave his son up for me. And maybe that says something about our relationship. I'm not able to rest in our relationship enough. I, I want to see a resolution. But a relationship says, I want you more than I want the resolution. Because, God, you're enough. And I know sometimes we struggle with that, right? And, and that's okay because you know what the Bible says? You know how much faith you need according to the Bible? Just a mustard seed. If you're not familiar with Middle Eastern mustard seeds, they're, they're one of the smallest seeds you could ever find. I mean, they're almost like translucent, like almost flaky, just tiny things. God's saying, just a little bit of faith, just put a little bit of faith in me and watch how I'll come through for you. 
Let go of trusting in yourself and trust in me. Trust in the relationship that we have. So it looks and rests in a relationship. In fact, there was a man who came to Jesus in Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, and his son was demon-possessed and had been mute and, and, and was convulsing all this stuff. Nobody could help him. And he came to Jesus. He said, if you can help. And Jesus said, if. If. And, and then the guy says this in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. It says, immediately the father cried out and he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, we, we kind of wrestle with that sometimes. And God says, listen, that's okay. You don't need the resolution. Trust in our relationship. And that's what this guy was saying. Lord, I do believe, but I'm kind of wrestling with it as well. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I've told you the story many times about getting on an airplane, right? Faith is often like getting on an airplane. You got two people about to get on an airplane. One person, they trust the pilot, they trust the airplane, they trust the mechanics, every bolt and all the instruments, all that's going to be fine. They get on there, they sit down, they open up their laptop, they do some work, they read, they eat some peanuts, they do whatever, right? The other person's like, ah, I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of questions for the pilot. Where did you go to school? How many hours have you flown? I want to know these. I got a question for the last mechanic that fixed something on here. When They got a lot of questions. But those people still have the same choice, right? Get on the plane or don't get on the plane, right? But all it takes to get on the airplane is what? One step of faith. And you're on the plane. Now, look, you might have a terrible ride if, if you don't trust, right? That's going to be the difference. Your ride might be filled with anxiety. And the other person's ride, might, they just be snoring away, right? Faith kind of snores like that sometimes. And, and so faith trusts in that relationship, and it's resting in that. You don't have to have all the questions figured out. Sometimes people, before they come to Christ, are like, I don't know if I can come to Christ because i got all these questions about the Bible, all these questions about God. And, and listen, that's okay, and it's okay to have those questions. But it still comes down to, will you take a step of faith with God Will you get on the airplane? Will you submit and surrender your life to him? Will you be like that man on the cliff and let go and trust him? That's really what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Is that we're, we're waiting, we're trusting, we're relying on him. His relationship means more to me than the resolution that I get. I want God more than anything else. Look at what verse 20 says, the end of the chapter. It says this. It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. You know what that means? God is in charge. He's relaxed. In fact, other parts of the Bible, it says he sits with his feet up. You know when somebody's got their feet up? They ain't worried about a thing, right? Right? Feet are up. They're casual. God has his feet up. God is not frantic about all the stuff in the world, all the drama going on, what happens with North Korea. He's not worried about any of it. He's got a plan that is far better than mine, yours, or anybody else's. He's not worried about his feet are up. He's in his temple, and he says, let all the earth keep Silence before it. Let all the earth be in awe. Let, let all the earth rest in the relationship that we have and what I've done on the cross to prove to you my love. Let all the earth be in silence before Him. That doesn't mean there's not a time for questions, but there is a time for saying, God, I'm done talking and now I trust in you. In fact, that's what happens in the third chapter. So, so Habakkuk goes from wondering and having these questions, why, why, God? Then he goes to chapter 2, waiting. And then chapter 3, we'll see next week, he goes to just worship. I told you, he just drops all his stuff, picks up his guitar, and starts singing. And he begins to worship. And so as we are stuck in this world, you and I, right, we're in a position of waiting. 
Jesus has come and proven His love, but we're waiting for the return of Jesus. You're waiting for situations in your life to improve, for relationships, for children and grandchildren. You're waiting for healing. And while we're waiting, we worship. Amen? And, and while we have the Lord's Supper today, this is a great reminder, right? It's a reminder that God has come through on every promise. He hasn't broken a promise. He said He would send a Messiah, a Messiah who would be born in Bethlehem. Did the Messiah come? And was He born in Bethlehem? Yes, he said he would come from the, the tribe of Judah. Did he come from the tribe of Judah? Yes. said he would come and he would give his life as a ransom. It would be by his wounds we are healed. Did, did Jesus give his life on the cross for us? Yes, he did. And they said he would be resurrected on the third day. Did he rise again on the third day? Yes, he did. And there were eyewitnesses, over 500 eyewitnesses to see this and to verify this. Because when we talk about faith, I'm not talking about just blind faith, right? I'm not talking about I can jump off the building and not just jump off and do something crazy, right? talking about faith in things that God has shown us over and over again and has proved. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's that reminder. He keeps His promises. Trust what you see in the Word so you can see it in the world. Trust in that relationship. And so if you're here today and um, you're, you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ, and, and you're not a member of this church, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper with us. Please join us. This is for all believers, regardless of your uh, church affiliation or, or background. But if you're here today and you haven't stepped across the line, you haven't gotten on the plane yet with Christ, if you will, right? You're not a believer. Then, then we're going to ask you to just let the plate pass from you. Well, well, why is that? Because this is a reminder for believers. We want to give you something more substantial. We want to give you the faith in the real thing, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a reminder. It's a symbolic reminder for those of us who have trusted in Him. It reminds us again, Lord, as I take your body, as I, as I take the juice, Lord, help me to trust in you today. God, help me to put my faith in you. Help me to live 24-7 by faith. And so let's pray together, and we'll observe the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for the promises of the Bible. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. We ask, Lord Jesus, as we observe the Lord's Supper, God, that you would help us. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling here today. I know what that's like. And so do many of the people sitting next to them. Sometimes, Lord, we feel like that, man, Lord, I have a lot of unbelief. God, help me to believe. And I pray, Father, that those who are in that position, they would cry out to you. And as they cry out to you, they would find you giving them faith. As Ephesians reminds us, we are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God. God, you give us the faith even to believe. Thank you for that. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So as we observe the Lord's Supper, we pray, Father, that you would be glorified and exalted as we think about the, the gospel, the beauty of the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the proof of your deep and abiding love for us. God, we are amazed. So bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Especially for those who, are, who, who, who let the plate pass from you. You say, you know what, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm not a believer yet. I haven't stepped across that line, right? We wanted to give you something greater. We wanted to give you greater trust. We wanted to give you the real bread of life, the real covenant of God. This is the reminder. We wanted to give you something sure. That is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? You, you, you can't rest in him if you don't have that relationship, just like all of us have a relationship. And here's the cool thing, because what God said to Habakkuk was true for Habakkuk's time, but he was pointing Habakkuk to Jesus. And the writer of, of, of Hebrews, look with me just at, and Habakkuk 2 and 3 says this. He says, 
Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. What is he talking about? He's talking about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ. And the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, points us to this. Hebrews chapter 10, he quotes this same verse, the righteous will live by faith. But, but notice what he said when he quoted this verse. He didn't use the word it will come. He didn't say it, it, it like it says. So I replaced the it's for us so we could see it a little bit better. So it says this. Uh, actually, read, read, let's, let's put up Hebrews first. My bad. Hebrews 10, it says, for in just a, l- a little while, who will come? He, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And then verse 38, he goes on to say, but my righteous one will live by faith. He quotes from Habakkuk. But go back to the, the, the previous slide there, Brother Jim, right? He, he substitutes he is coming. He will not delay. So, so if, you, if you have Habakkuk open, you could substitute that as well. And Habakkuk 3 says this. Now we can throw that one up there. Okay, for still the vision awaits. It's appointed time. Not it, but who will come? He, he hastens till the end. It, no, not it, he will not lie. That's Jesus, folks. If it or he seems slow, wait for him. For he will surely come. He will not delay. That's how the author of Hebrews put that in. And so he's he's reminding us, he's saying, listen, Jesus is going to return. Are you with me? He's going to come back. And you can take confidence in that. But listen, if you're in this room and you're not a believer, that day may bring a little bit of worry for you, right? Because what he's reminding us is this, is that Jesus is going to come back. We're all going to stand before God and have to give an account for our lives. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. We're going to have to give an account for our lives. He's going to return. You and I will stand before him. And, and, and what will be your response? Will your response be, I did good. I was a good person. I did works. I did all these things to try to impress you. Or will your response be this? I place my faith. In Jesus, in what He did, He did the work for me. I'm just trusting in Him. What will your response be on that day? Because Habakkuk two is quoted again in Galatians. I'll show it to you real quick. Galatians three says this: For all who rely on the works of the law, all who rely on their own works to try to impress God, God, I'm a good person. God, I've done enough. All who rely on the works of the law are under what? A curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. Then verse 11, it says, now it is evident that no one, listen to me now, no one is justified. That means made right in God's sight before God by the law. And then he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. He says, for the righteous person shall live by what? Faith. Pastor, what are you talking about? We stand before God one day. Satan's going to come like a prosecutor, right? And he's going to read all the stuff of the Bible, all the, all the stuff in the law. He's going to say this. The Bible says you are supposed to love your enemies. I here have a list of Daniel Mackey's enemies who were not loved. Oh, oh, oh. That's going to be harsh. Right? The Bible says you should give generously. You should tithe. So Satan has brought in your financials. Let's take a look over those. Oh. You were not a generous giver at all. In fact, you gave, you gave more to Slurpees than you gave to your Savior. We can step on other toes. You gave more to Starbucks than you gave to your Savior. You gave more to Sally's Nails and Hair Salon than you gave to your Savior. Right? 
The Bible says, don't have lustful thoughts. We're going to roll some tape of some thoughts you had. Oh, 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 mom, mom, don't look at this, right? You're not supposed to lie. Here we're bringing in all the lies you've ever told. Ooh, this is going to be a long day. And Satan's going to say, I got all of eternity. We're going to go through all the lies. The Bible says you are a forgiven person and you are supposed to forgive others. And so we brought a list of all the people you've harbored a resentment, bitterness, and anger against in your heart. Oh. The Bible says, husbands, you're supposed to love your wives. We brought your wife in here to testify to all the times you did not love her. Oh, honey, don't do this. Wives, you were supposed to honor and submit to your husbands. We brought him in to testify back against you. Right? We could go on and on. Satan is an expert. In fact, the Bible declares Satan. It says this. He is the accuser of the brothers, the accuser of the children of God. And he's going to accuse us before God. And what is our response going to be on that day? Are you going to say, I have a works response? Or are you going to say, I put my faith in Jesus. He's all I know. He took my place. I'm guilty, 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 guilty on all of it. But I trusted in Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. There are three responses for works response. Most people say, I'm good enough, right? I'm, I'm not that bad of a person. And here's what we do. We, we, can, we pick somebody who we can compare ourselves with, right? It's always Hitler, right? Always, always Hitler. Like, oh, you, could, you couldn't have picked somebody else? Like, that's a real high bar to pole vault. Over. I, I wasn't as bad as Hitler, so God must grade on a curve. I'm kind of a C student. I'm going to get in, right? But God doesn't grade on the curve. He sees two categories, perfect and imperfect, righteous and unrighteous, two categories. And we all agree no one is perfect, right? And the only perfect guy who came is Jesus, and we killed him, right? That means we're pretty bad. We, we, we knocked off the only perfect guy. It's like, well, this is not good. We should be comparing ourselves to Jesus. He's the only, only normal human being there is. That's what we're supposed to look like. That's a normal human being, Jesus. Not comparing yourself to your friends, some random person who was terrible in history. So I'm good enough. Then you have the cause crusaders. And they'll say, God, I did this. I did this. I was in this cause. I tithed. I gave. I, I, I recycled. I pledged money to this organization. I marched. I voted. I saved the whales. I did all these things. Right? The cause crusaders, they know something is wrong. They know something's wrong with the world, and they believe they are the only one who can fix it, which is still a works-based righteousness. And here's the interesting thing is that they think they're the good guys, and they'll publicly shame, malign, and beat people who don't join their cause, right? You've experienced that before? Oh, you're not part of my cause? You must be a terrible person. And they'll march into heaven saying, God, we're here. You're welcome. Look at all the stuff we did. you got the cause crusaders, and you got the, the really religious. And they'll say... God, I read my Bible. I was a member at Princess Anne Plaza Baptist Church. I tithed, I prayed, I went to community group or Sunday school and Bible study, and I served. And, and they're working hard to pay God back. Right? They're really religious. They think their religion is going to get them to heaven, but that's not what the Bible says. It says, cursed is everyone who is under the law. I prayed three times facing east. Right? There's all kinds of, of religions out there as well, right? I, I, I wore sacred underwear and got married in a temple. I, I did all sorts of things in order to prove my love for God. I'm trying to do something to make God happy. This is all works, right? In fact, there was a man who tried this. His name was Martin Luther. He was actually a monk. And, and, and he 
read about the righteousness of God and he was just broken about it. And he was like, man, I'm so unrighteous, but I'm a monk. And he tried his best. In fact, he would sleep on hard, hard beds. He would try his best. He would beat himself. He would flagellate himself when he would whip himself all because he stood before God as a guilty sinner. And he said, I got to prove to God I'm good. But then you know what he read? He read the book, the verse that we read earlier in Romans, which is a quote from Habakkuk. He didn't necessarily read Habakkuk 2.4, but he quotes it in Romans where he says, the righteous will live by faith. And he said that at that moment, I felt like a new man. I felt like I was born again. And he got out of the religion. And many of you know the, the story of history. He nailed the 95 theses of all the stuff that the church had gotten off base from the Bible. And he nailed that to the doors in Wittenberg, Germany. But for years, he lived as a really religious person. But he didn't know Christ. He didn't know the righteous live by faith. The only other answer is this. What should you do on that day? When you are in front of the judge, just plead, I knew Jesus. That's, all, that's, all, that's my only answer. And so if you're here today, we want to help you know him. Jesus would stand up and he would defend you. And he would say, yep, they're guilty, but I'm innocent. I give them my innocence. Yep, they're unrighteous, but I was righteous. They were not perfect, but I was perfect. I give them my perfection. That's what it means to be a Christian. I brought them near. I took their punishment. And you would say, I'm only trusting in Jesus. He's my only hope. And so is that you today? This time of response is an opportunity. You can put on your connection card. Man, I, I, need, I, I need Jesus. I need this relationship with Jesus. We'd love to help you with that. You can come down the aisle. During the song, and, and we'd love to pray and help you with that. Whatever the need of your heart, maybe it's not that. Maybe you just want some prayer. We'll be here to help you. But you trust in Jesus because the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for a time to rejoice in the work that you've done, the work you did on the cross, God paying the penalty, taking my punishment, taking my shame, the shame that was due to me for my sins, and trading places with me, Lord. And I pray now for folks here during this time of response, God, that you give us freedom in our time of response. If we need to just come and lay some things at the altar and pray, if we need to sit in our seat and pray, whatever the need of our hearts, God, I pray that we just have freedom to respond to you how you're calling us to respond. So bless us during this time, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we can trust you by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.